Well, welcome to everyone. Welcome you on live stream, podcast, wherever you may be connecting with us. We're glad that we could all join together, hear the word of God today. Amen. You know, one word from God will change your life. You'll never be the same again. Isn't that right? Because God is a good God. Hallelujah. How many of you enjoyed Dennis Burke's meeting Wednesday night? Hallelujah. That was a nice little surprise visit and a tremendous blessing. And you know, he'll be back in March, the first um, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday in March. So we're looking forward to his return. And the offering for him was $2,720. Praise God. Yes, the workman is worthy of his wage, you know. Hallelujah. And he works hard. He left here and he went down to Naples and he did a service down in Naples for Faith TV. I guess they have some kind of a faith church or something down in Naples. They've just started one and um, they have a TV station and he was on, it was, it was on, you can go on YouTube and you can check it out. Um, so, you know, he works hard. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So uh, we're glad that he came by. It was a wonderful visit. Great to spend some time with him. And um, amen. I was going to say something else, but I forgot. <laughs> Open up to Psalm 65. Let's go over there. Let's see. Yeah. See where we go. Psalm 65, verse 11. Hallelujah. I talked to you today about killing unbelief. Did that hurt you? I heard a groan. Everybody groaned over that one. I thought I would hear like a, yeah, okay, praise God. <laughs> uh, I felt like I just shot a dart at you or something. Come on. Psalm 65, verse 11. He says, you have crowned the year with your bounty and your paths drip with fatness. Hallelujah. You know, that's the place where fatness drips. And last week we started talking about this and we we're talking about how we need to revisit that place again where the fatness drips. Because we know the fatness is the anointing, the abundance of God and all that God is just wants to drip on us. And we were talking last week about if you were going to travel to Miami and you got onto the interstate and headed north, you're not going to get to Miami. No matter how long you stay on that path, you're not going to get there. So eventually you'll get to the place to where you know you need to turn around. And what does turn around mean? Repent. Repent does not mean to apologize, say you're sorry. That's why you hear a lot of people say things like, well, I don't know why I need to repent. I didn't know what I did was wrong and, and I don't have to apologize. Well, repenting is not apologizing. It's just turning around. Do you realize that you're facing me right now? But at the end of the service, you're going to repent. You're going to turn around and go out the door. That's as simple as what repenting means, to turn around from where you're at. Now, you could be on the road going north to Miami, and you could feel real discouraged. You can beat yourself up. Oh, I don't believe I went on the interstate. I'm going the wrong direction. I got to go another 10 miles to get to another exit. You could feel depressed over the whole thing. But you know what? No matter how depressed you feel, no matter how much self-pity you have, and no matter how discouraged you are, that will never, ever, ever change anything. 
The only thing that will change anything is when you choose to turn around. Isn't that right? Which is to repent. And when you turn around, you need to turn around and stay until you get to the destination, which would be Miami. In this case, we want to turn around till we get to the place to where the fatness drips. Amen. The New English translation says you leave an abundance in your wake. There is an abundance in the path of God. Amen. It's where the river flows. And Ezekiel says that wherever the river goes, it brings life. And we want to be in the river. We don't want to be on the side, on the bank, watching the river go by. We want to be involved with what's going on and get in on the abundance and the fatness and the anointing of God. And in order to do so, in order to make those turnarounds, it's going to take some disciplined decisions. You know, we could sit here and go, yeah, yeah, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to turn. But it's a discipline that it takes. It's a consistency to stay with it because John the Baptist said, stay with repenting until the bearing of fruit. In other words, stay with the turning. So if I was to head north to Miami and I made it to Kings Highway, I could turn around and then get off at Harborview Boulevard. Well, I have nowhere real, near, nearly reached my destination. So I have to keep with, that, keep with that turnaround until I get to where I need to be. And that's the same thing. We want to get to where we need to be, which is on his path where the fatness drips. Isn't that right? Amen. Glory to God. So, you know, the three things that we're looking at this year is to revisit, to refresh, and to refire. Revisit, refresh, and refire. And to revisit means what? To remember. Remember some things. Amen. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. We looked over here again last uh, week. He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So it's not a matter of being in need of more faith, but liberating and setting free the faith that we have. You know, there's a lot of people around the world that can get prayed for. They receive Jesus into their life. They get their eyesight healed. They get their hearing healed. They, they have limbs grow back on their body. They get healed of incurable diseases. And they haven't had time to build up great faith. They've just heard. Yeah. Isn't that right? right. And what, what, the thing is, is that what little faith they had is unhindered. Yeah. It don't matter how much faith you have. If it's hindered, it will not work. Yeah. Amen. The Amplified Bible says it's a lack of firm reliance and trust. A lack of firm reliance and trust. Because what is faith? Faith is to have an inward certainty, a reliance based on inward certainty. Doesn't matter what's going on out here. Don't matter what things look like. Don't matter how bad things are. Doesn't matter what all them yo-yos are talking about out there. It doesn't matter. It's the inward certainty that you have and the reliance you have on the Lord. Isn't that right? Amen. So why little faith? Well, when you receive the word, many times you receive it with joy. Glory to God. I just heard about healing. I just heard about prosperity. I heard God wants to meet my needs. I heard God wants to take care of me. God wants to do stuff for me. You know, when I first got saved, I first started hearing the word. Of God. I never knew that. All I was ever taught as a kid is that God's going to beat you up. 
You do something wrong, God will beat you, God will bust you, God will break your leg, God will do all this stuff to you. Well, I didn't know that was all lies. And not that they were purposely lying to me, but the people that told me that didn't know any better. Because you'll never find that in the Bible. Never. God's a good God. So when I started hearing that God wants to do things for me, I'm like, I never heard that God wants to do something for me. All I ever heard was God wants to take something from me. So what a great revelation that I got when I first got saved that God's a good God. That I could draw a line in the sand to say, good God, bad devil. God's a good God. All good things come from him. Isn't that right? And the goodness of God is not mysterious. You know, people think, well, God's mysterious. We don't know why he did what he did. No, bottom line is you don't know anything about God. That's the bottom line. And that's why we come up with all of these excuses. Just say it this way. I don't know. Period. I don't know and then shut your mouth. I don't know. Was that rough? <laughs> you know, you, you know, don't be like Dennis, when, what he talked about when he first got saved. He, uh, people asked him questions. If he didn't know the answer, he'd make stuff up. Don't be like that. <laughs> if you don't know, you don't know. That's all. Amen. So remember the parable of the sower. They received the word with joy, but they were only temporary. And then when afflictions of life came, they fell away. That kind of receiving the word, that kind of faith is shallow, temporal of the soul, but it's not a faith to the finish. See, you need a faith to the finish, a faith that'll get you to Miami, a faith that'll get you to where the, the fatness drips. That's what you want, a faith that'll get you all the way. We got saved with mustard seed faith. It didn't take a lot of faith to get saved. You were pretty much like, Okay, I, I believe that. I'm, I'm receiving Jesus into my life. That's all that it took. Isn't that right? But what happens over the years is people get discouraged because they get out of that mustard seed faith and they get over into works and they try working, doing works. And they start to neglect. You know, faith is very simple. In fact, where is it? Matthew, where are we at? 17? I think it's 13. Is it 13? Maybe it's Mark. I don't know. Go over to Matthew 13. Let's see if it's over there. Hmm. No? Nope. I bet it's Mark 4. Bear with me for a minute. We don't lose the anointing over this. Yeah, Mark 4. 26 to 29. Because, you know, this is what I hear from people. And you heard Pastor Nid talk about it at the 930 service, how she practices faith. Now, some people tell you, well, you can't practice faith because you can't have faith unless God gives it to you. Fooey. That's a bunch of hooey. Hooey, fooey. Nonsense. And it's, again, it's a misunderstanding about God. Over here in Mark, it says, and he was saying the kingdom of God is like, this is the kingdom of God. It's like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. Stop right there. 
So, we take the Word of God and we plant the Word of God in the soil. Because the Word, the, the sower sows the Word. So the Word is the seed. And the seed gets sown into the soil. What's the soil? You. You're the soil. Your spirit, man, is the soil. So you take the Word of God and you sow that into the soil and you meditate on the Word. You water that seed by meditating on it. And what happens? The soil produces crops when God says so. No. The soil produces by itself. So it's up to you whether you're going to get to the point of believing it or not. Don't be blaming stuff on God that's not God's fault. The soil produces crops all by its little own self. Needs no other help. Well, isn't it God doing it? No, God created it that way. Okay, so if you, put, if you would take a natural seed and you put natural seed into the ground, do you need a visitation from God and three angels to get that seed to grow? No, no it's going to grow because the soil of the ground is designed to grow seed. So is the soil of your heart designed to grow the seed. The seed will, the, the soil will produce by itself. You understand that? So how does that come about where we say we practice faith. Practice faith is because, well, this is what I believe. I believe based on what the Word of God says, so I'm going to start working it in this area. I believe God supplies all my needs. I believe that. Okay, so here we are. She's at the store. She's believing God for something to show up. And boom, there it is. It shows up. Maybe not in a day or two, but it will show up. Are you with me? She's the only person I know that can buy a red blouse and say, I'm believing for a red skirt to go with this and find one that matches perfectly. Not a different shade of red, perfect. Now, some people say, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, you don't need that. No, what do you need? And you're not in the practice to do it. You're not been practicing. So now and then you face stuff and you can't do it. And you want to come up with all kinds of excuses and blame God and all these reasons on why it don't work. When very simply is you're too lazy to work the word or you're too ignorant to know that you can. And I don't mean stupid. I just mean you're unaware. You understand what I'm saying? You got to get with that program that God laid out. God's a sovereign God. He's laid out the kingdom the way he wants to, and you get the choice of whether you're going to operate in it or just let it go by. Amen. I'm saying this as nice as I can. Because I love you. The soil produces crops by itself. That's all that we need to know. I put the word in, it will produce. When it produces, when it comes in, I will reap. I'll reap the results of it. And what, is the, what are you reaping? Faith. Faith to believe and then to start operating in that. Hallelujah. You might have to meditate on that because that was not in my notes. Let's see, where are we? Matthew, go back to Matthew 17. And let's read the whole account, 14 through 21. Matthew 17 Verses 14 through 21. It says, when they came to the 
crowd. Now, remember Jesus, James, and John, they just came down from the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured before them. He was speaking to Moses and to Elijah. And um, so he was actually translated into the spirit realm because it's actually against God's law to talk to dead people on the earth. So he was translated into the spirit realm, and here he is talking to Moses and to Elijah, and Peter, James, and John are looking and seeing into the spirit realm and seeing this happening. So then they come down from the mount, and it says, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, you think I'm rough with you? I have never said that to you. He said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? How long is this service going to last? <laughs> I've never talked like that. So he says, Bring him here to me. <clears throat> and Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, but truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will, not, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Okay, we're going to cover all of that stuff. But Jesus basically has cast the demon out from this boy. The disciples failed to be able to do it. So the father turned to Jesus when he came down from the mountain. Jesus rebukes the devil. He leaves. The boy gets cured. And the disciples said to him, how come we couldn't do that? Well, the disciples were very confused when they failed. And then they were confused when they saw Jesus do it. Right? So what was the problem? I mean, these guys have been successful before. This isn't a first-time deal. You remember in Matthew chapter 10, he sends them all out. He says, I give you authority over all the unclean spirits and to cure every kind of disease and sickness. So this isn't the first time, right? And um, they went out and they had authority over Satan and they came back rejoicing that the demons were subjected to them, which it talks you about in Luke chapter 10. So this instance here in Matthew 17 is not the first time but one of many times that they've come up against demons. You know, demons, you know, you don't have to be afraid of demons. You know, don't, don't even let Hollywood try to scare you with that nonsense. They're defeated foes. So why were they not successful this time? Well, Mark gives us a little more insight in Mark chapter 9. Let's run over there, Mark chapter 9. Verses 14 through 17. See, the Word of God is always our answers. It's full of answers. You have problems, spend time with your answers. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 17. I'm sorry, 14 through 27. It says, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes were arguing with them. And immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, 
Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him into the ground, and he foams at the mouth and girds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it often throws him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus answered him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. So there's a lot of details in there that Matthew doesn't cover. Number one, we see from this account that the disciples were surrounded by a large multitude of people. And they're all watching. Every eye is on them. Number two, we see that there's a group of Pharisees who are antagonizing them and questioning the disciples. Number three, the young boy who needed deliverance fell to the ground, wallowing and foaming from his mouth. Number four, the disciples were put on the spot for the first time. Each time before when Jesus had sent them out, they probably cast out devils in the privacy of someone's home or somewhere away from the crowds. But now every eye is on them. Pressure is mounting. The people were skeptical and the disciples have felt all the pressures. The pressures of a worried father. The pressures of an onlooking crowd the pressures of a critical attitude of the religious leaders. And under this great pressure, they failed for the first time. Now, don't even sit there in pompous arrogance and think, well, I would never fail. <laughs> See, faith has to be fresh because situations are always different. This is why faith has to be fresh. You need faith for now because the situation you face today is different than the one you faced yesterday. The disciples were not prepared for pressured times. See, when we talk about pressured times, Paul said to Timothy, in the last days, pressured, hard to deal with, difficult times are going to come. And we talk about those pressured times that we have to be ready for. But what about pressure times like this? Pressure times of just believing God in your own situation. Pressure times and praying with somebody else. How many times have you, have you ever done this? You, you know you're supposed to pray for somebody in Walmart and you want to call them over into the corner where there's nobody around. Because there's too much pressure out there. 
somebody might be looking, somebody, might be, somebody else might be saying something. You understand? See, they weren't prepared for the pressured times. And faith has to be fresh. Amen. Amen. Going back to uh, verse 20. Is it 20? Oh, that was Matthew 17. I want to look at a few things over here. Verse 21. I think this is where it was. Oh, yeah. So Jesus comes up. You have to understand something here. Jesus comes up. And the, boy, and the boy's father says, there's a spirit that throws him to the ground and into the water. And the boy starts foaming and having convulsions. And Jesus stands here talking to the father. So how long has this been going on? Jesus isn't shook. Jesus is not nervous over this stuff. It's like, so how long has this been going on? Yeah, from childhood, it's been happening all the time. Nah. Not shook, because he's not under the pressure. Verse 22. Verse 23. Oh, he said, so take pity on us and help us if you can do anything. Verse 23. And Jesus said, if you can, question mark. In other words, if you can, if, you, if I can, you're saying if I can do anything, you obviously don't know who I am. If I can do anything, do something to help you out. Let me tell you something, Dad. Here's the deal. It's not about whether I can. It's whether you can. Can you believe? See, can you believe? See, everybody's waiting for God to do something. It's not a matter of whether God can do something. God can do anything except go against your will. He's given you free will, and he will never, never, never violate your free will. And if you say to God, up your nose with a rubber hose, he'll say, fine. He'll never go against your will. If you say, I don't want to do that, fine. If you don't want to believe, fine. You know why? Because your disbelief is no sweat off of his nose. As far as he's concerned, how long has this been going on? Huh, look at that. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a loving God. But yet God's given you everything, all things, anything you could ever need that pertains to your life, your life, your life, your life, and to a life of God. And he's given it to you all. It's like, it's like Golden Corral providing a massive buffet. And you go in just to have a drink of water. Well, that's how a lot of people treat God. God's given them everything that pertains to them, everything and anything that pertains to their life. You could take that word, you can plant it in the soil, you can get it to grow, it can produce, and you can have faith for everything and anything that God's provided for you. But you just want to drink of water. Well, I'm just happy with the way things are. Until they're not, and then you're not prepared. Amen. Hallelujah. Where are we? Let's go back to Matthew 17, verse 20. So the disciples asked him, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, because of the littleness of your faith. Now, the way we read this, 
And the way that it's written, it sounds like, oh, I need more faith. But that is never, ever, ever the issue. You either have faith or you don't have faith. There's no such thing as needing more faith. Because, he, listen, if it was the littleness, if it was because the faith was so small, then what does he say after that? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, if you have faith the size of just a mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. So it can't be about the size of the faith, can it? No. So littleness of faith is not about size if all you need is mustard seed faith. Because no doubt, the disciples tried to analyze how come, how come it doesn't work, how come we couldn't do this. So they're, they're probably talking with each other, well, we probably need more faith. Well, we don't have enough faith. Well, well we had faith when we were out there in the cities, but how come we don't have faith now? So that's why Jesus mentioned the small amount of faith needed to remove problems in a Christian's life. It just needs a small amount of faith. You got saved with mustard seed faith. You didn't develop faith over a long period of time, so you, I think I have enough faith to be saved. No. Not at all. If you're anything like me, I could give a rip about anything about Christianity and about Jesus and about all this other stuff before I got saved. You gotta be kidding me. Don't bug me. I had a guy start working right next to me where I was working. He was a minister, and I told the service manager, he better not be bugging me. I don't want to hear nothing he's got to say. And I was dead serious. And he didn't even want to talk to me because he figured I was going to hit him in the head with a hammer. And I may well have. But something happened to the disciples between when Jesus sent them out and gave them authority and now. Something has happened. Something's crept in unaware to the disciples. And what has crept in is not a need for more faith, but a need for less unbelief. A very small amount of faith can move mountains and guarantee that nothing is impossible. Isn't that what Jesus said to the Father? All things are possible to him who believes. The work of God is what? To believe. Amen. But a little bit of unbelief nullifies the power of faith. See, the mustard seed faith, that small faith, that little bit needs to be unhindered. <clears throat> when you got saved and you said, I, I'm receiving Jesus as, as Lord of my, was there any hindrances to that? No. There was no hindrances. You know why? Because you didn't know anything different. But now you're so smart. You've got all kinds of stuff now that comes against what God wants to say to develop mustard seed faith. I'd say you got old and wise, but that may not be the case. Maybe the old is right, but not, not wise. <laughs> Hello. A little bit of unbelief nullifies the power of faith. Remember what Dennis said? Do we need more positive thinking or do we just need less negative thoughts? You need less negative thoughts is what you need. Why? Because no thought is better than a negative thought. Guys, you're better off in your empty box than to be thinking about negative stuff. 
<laughs> Faith was never designed to be a tug of war. When unbelief is absent, mustard seed faith will carry a mountain into the sea. But unbelief acts as an opponent to faith and pulls the mountain from the other direction. Now, some people say things like, well, you know, I, I have faith and, and unbelief isn't going to be a problem for me. And, you know, and well, that's the same people that don't agree with the word that says, uh, uh, be careful about who you keep company with because bad company corrupts good morals. Well, somebody lying, you or God, one or the other. I choose God. Not to be a liar, but to be the truth. Amen. So Jesus' answer for their inability was unbelief. Because Jesus walked into the same situation, just like the disciples did. He was not moved by the attention of the crowd. He was not moved by the critical attitude of the religious leaders. He did not become frightened when the boy fell to the ground and threw himself wallowing and foaming out of his mouth. And he just cast the devil out. And the boy was set free. Isn't that right? Jesus was a man of faith. But he also had no unbelief. None. See, and that's the secret that Paul came to when he wrote to Timothy. And he said, I know in whom I believe. He didn't say, I know what I believe. He said, I know in whom I believe. Because that's where faith rests. In whom. Jesus' faith was free and unhindered. Unbelief is not stronger than faith. See, a lot of times we think, well, you know, are you saying that unbelief is stronger? If I have faith, you know, faith, nothing's more powerful when I have faith. Well, no, it's not a matter of whether unbelief is more powerful than faith. It's that you're a divided heart. And a divided heart cannot stand. And when there's unbelief there, you're divided. Amen. Proverbs 6, everybody good? Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Amen. The ant. Go to the ant. You know, have you ever, now I know your house is a spotless, so this probably doesn't happen in your house, but has there ever been some place to where you saw a crumb of cake start walking away? Yeah. And if you look closely at that crumb that's walking across the carpet, you'll notice there's an ant underneath it. The ant is carrying something, an object that is much bigger and heavier than its own self. Well, faith is even more powerful than that. Imagine looking at a mountain moving away. And you see a mountain moving, you go, my goodness. Well, if you could pick up that mountain and look underneath, you'd see some mustard seed faith. Just moving that mountain out of the way. And Jesus said about mustard seed faith, and mustard seed rather, in Matthew 13, he said that the mustard seed is the least of all the seeds. It's smaller than all the seeds. 
And the thing about mustard seed is in order for mustard seed to work, you cannot crossbreed it. You know, in this day and age, they like crossbreeding everything. You know, you go to, uh, you go to Sam's and they got like <clears throat> big honking chickens. Well, you know, something's happened to this chicken. They have crossbred it with something. <laughs> you know? Or how about the, uh, uh, the pear apple, pear, pear apples? They breed pears and apples and make pear apples. They breed, they crossbreed everything. But mustard seed can't be crossbred. So why is it that mustard seed faith don't work? Because it's crossbred with unbelief. You can't crossbreed it. It has to be pure. The pure mustard seed. This tiny speck of faith would ask of us only one thing. Keep me unhindered and keep me free from unbelief. Keep me unhindered by keeping me free from unbelief. Amen. Mark chapter 5, verses 36 to 40. Mark 5, 36 to 40. It says, Jesus, remember this is what Jairus, he was on the way to his uh, house. His daughter was sick. He asked for Jesus to come and pray for his daughter to be healed. So they get to the house and they come out of the house and tell the Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore, your daughter died. It says, but Jesus overhearing what was being said or what was being spoken said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only what? Only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died. She is only asleep. And they began laughing at him. The Amplified says they laughed at him to scorn. But putting them all out, he took along the father's child and mother, and his own companions, which was Peter, James, and John, and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, arise. Okay, so he goes into the house, and there's a commotion going on. What is that commotion? It's resistance. It is resistance to the healing power of God. And God's miracle power is being hindered and resisted by unbelief. Now, he didn't blame, what's wrong with you people? You have a lack of faith. How come you don't believe? I'll tell you what, you need to believe. No, he didn't go down that road. This is what we do. We do this stuff, and we try to convince people how they need to believe. <clears throat> no, what did he blame the whole resistance on? Presence of unbelief. The presence of unbelief. But he didn't call for a prayer meeting. He didn't say, hey, Peter, go outside and get some more people in here. We need more people in here to pray. He didn't put re prayer requests out on Facebook or X or any other social media platform. Why? Because all that stuff does is open the door to more unbelief. Keep your stuff off of Facebook and any other social media and stop asking them people out there to pray for you and you don't know the first licking thing about them. And they'll tell you, oh yeah, we're believing for you. They don't even have the idea what it means to believe. 
Even Christians. I've had Christians say, oh, we're going to agree. You know, pastor, it's, it's, it's easier for me to agree for rich to be healed than it is for me to believe for my own self. Why is that? Well, because you don't really believe for rich to be healed. That's why. Just like you don't believe for you. Because what does it mean to believe rich to be healed? It means we stick together, we stay with the word, we continue to declare the word of God until there's a change in him and he's well and whole. But I don't do that with me. See, that's what agreement is. Agreement isn't, well, yes, brother, I agree with you, God bless you. And then you never think about it again. That's not agreement. You have disconnected. All you did was say some words that sounds pretty. Does nothing. Empty words. A lot of empty words going around. Are you with me? Unbelief. You start asking for everybody and their brother to pray for your situation. Unbelief. Loaded with unbelief. Well, what did Jesus do? He put out the unbelief. Get him out. Put him out. Well, couldn't Jesus operate in, in unbelief? I mean, what about there with the father and the son and all that? There was a lot of unbelief. Didn't he? Op yeah, he did. But what did he put the unbelief out for? Himself or for the others? It's for the others. Put it out. Just get rid of it. Amen. I remember being uh, one day I was I was at work in this one shop I was working at and there was a big parts department counter that I had to go to to get parts to work on the cars. And as I'm standing there, I feel the spirit of God says to me, I want you to talk to this person about Jesus, about me, he said. And the place was crowded. I said, well, OK, I'll do that, but you're going to have to get everybody out of here. And before I knew it, boom, like that, everybody's gone. And he's like there right in front of me going, can I help you? No, I'm here to help you. <laughs> Get rid of the unbelief. Are you with me? Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. I see the landing lights are coming on. Doesn't mean we're landing yet. Mark 6, 5 and 6. And he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. The Word of God tells us more about ridding ourselves of unbelief than it does about increasing faith. The Word of God tells you how faith comes and how you can have faith. But it tells you more about how to get rid of the unbelief. You know why? Because when you got born again and you came into the kingdom of God, you came out of a world that trained you in unbelief. Taught you how to not believe. Isn't that right? And you have to get rid of all of that so that you can have faith. Amen. And it says that he wondered. He wondered. He was astonished. He was amazed. He marveled at the fact he could do no mighty miracle there. Why? Unbelief. Because of their unbelief. What did he say to the Father? All things are possible to who? 
him who believes. So with unbelief, he couldn't do it. Not even he could do anything. So don't say, well, you know, if God wants to do it, he'll just do it. No, 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 no. God's already done it. He did it through Jesus 2,000 years ago, provided everything that you could ever need, and now it's up to us to step in and take hold. Mark 16, verse 11 through 14. It says, And when they heard that he was alive, this is after the resurrection, and had been seen by her, which was Mary, they refused to believe it. And after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along the, on their way to the country. And they went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. And afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. He reproached them. He upbraided them. He mocked them. He reviled them. It also means he insulted them. I think he might have said something like, what are you, stupid? I mean, you know, maybe that's just me, but that's what I'm thinking he might have said to them. He insulted them. He reprimanded them. This was not a happy time. They're reclining at the table, just enjoying themselves, and Jesus shows up, comes right in through the wall, just appears right there in their midst. What is the instruction to us as a New Testament church age believers? You know, this is not Old Testament times. We don't live in the Old Testament. There are things from the Old Testament we learn from, but these are New Testament times. Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews 3.19 Hebrews 3.19, it says, So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief means to be unfaithful, to have an uncertainty, a distrust. Unfaithful is to have want of confidence in Christ's power and want of trust in the God of promise. That is unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Disobedience, okay? Well, disobedience also means unbelief. In fact, some versions say unbelief. Then it means the same. It's a resistance to persuasion. The want of obedience of faith ought to be faithless. This is faithlessness. Now, you understand you can have faith in Jesus, but not faith in healing. You can be faithless when it comes to healing. You can have faith in Jesus and, have faith and be faithless in the area that God wants to meet your needs. Unbelieving causes disobedience. Unbelieving causes disobedience. Verse 11, where are we? Verse, yeah, look at verse 11. For the word of God, I'm sorry, that's 12. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience and unbelief. Because of unbelief, they disobeyed. 
They were faithless. Therefore, they didn't obey and they did not enter in. So verse 1 then tells us that we should fear that while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Now, you could take that as a general theology and say, well, that's just entering into the promised land and all that. Well, how about a little rest from that little sickness you're dealing with? How about a little rest from that lack you have to deal with? How about a little bit of rest from that depression and oppression that you're going through? There is a rest for you in the Lord. But it comes through the avenue of believing that he is able to do that. Amen? Amen. Through unbelief that creates disobedience, we would fail to enter any of his promises. We, we don't have to fail to enter into his promise of health. We don't have to fail to enter into his promise of abundance. We don't have to fail to enter into his promise of peace. We don't have to fail to enter into his promise of a soundness of mind. We don't have to fail to enter into a promise of a good marriage, good relationships. We don't have to fail to enter into a promise of wisdom, fail to enter into a promise of anything that God's provided for us, anything that he has given to us, anything that he has brought to us that pertains to our life and to godliness. We do not have to fail to enter into any of it. It is all provided and all on the table for us. Amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Matthew 17, 21 again. Let's see if we can wrap all this together. Matthew 17, 21. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now there's a problem with this verse. First of all, there is no demon that is not subject to the name of Jesus. No demon. The demons are subjected to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Coming out of a heart of faith, believing. Isn't that right? And we know that in the last days, at the end of the age, that there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, whether it be by... Uh, voluntary ways or forced, but it will be accomplished by every single person. Isn't that right? The object to which Jesus is referring to that needs to be removed, this kind does not come out. This kind of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. This kind of unbelief does not come out. And prayer and fasting, fasting isn't in most translations. And this verse actually isn't in many of the early manuscripts. But since it is there, we'll deal with it. This kind of unbelief does not, does not come out except by prayer. Okay? Now, unbelief. Let me give you the two kinds of unbelief. Number one, well... There's two kinds. One is rebellious and one is passive. Those are the two kinds of unbelief. Rebellious unbelief comes from sin. It openly defies the word of God and the power of God. The Exodus generation, when they came out of Egypt, they were guilty of this type of rebellious unbelief. 
When Moses gave the promises of God, they hardened their heart and they spoke out against God and Moses. That was rebellious unbelief. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their rebellion. This is not the kind of unbelief that the disciples are dealing with. The disciples are dealing with passive unbelief. The, the disciples honestly believed God, but their faith was nullified because of unbelief. And in all honesty, they asked why they could not cast out the devil this time, because the last time it was easy. So Jesus said this kind of unbelief, passive unbelief, does not come out except by prayer. Why? Because most of the time, you don't know you have it. I can go around this whole room right here, and there's not one person in here that can really tell me what your unbelief is, because you think you're believing just fine. It's passive. It just slips in there. But you'll never recognize it unless you spend time in prayer with the Lord. You know, Jude chapter 1, verse 20 says, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You need to be praying in the Holy Ghost. You need to be praying in other tongues. You don't need your mind running and buzzing and trying to figure things out. You need to be praying in the Holy Ghost so that God can show it to you, what you have to deal with. Amen. Build up your faith, starve your unbelief. See, if you build up your faith, you'll starve unbelief. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last verse, Mark chapter 4. Verse 18 and 19. Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. And the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. It becomes unfruitful. It was fruitful, but then it became unfruitful because of passive unbelief. Passive unbelief comes from an overoccupation with the legitimate things of life, an overoccupation with it. So concerned about so many things. Thorns choke the word, and the word that you have becomes unfruitful. The thorns of unbelief are described as the necessities of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the lust of other things that enter in and choke the word. Now let me say this. Necessities, wealth, and the things of the, of, of, the, of the earth that we need are all legitimate areas of life. But the parable is warning us about too much time spent with them and what the result of it is. Amen. Sitting in front of a TV for eight hours a day will affect your faith. If you can't listen to the news without wanting to throw a rock through your TV, you need to turn it off. I'm serious. If all you ever talk about is the things of life, then that's what's in you. And therefore, it's too much. 
you're not talking the word. The word of God's not coming out of you. What fills your heart is what fills your mouth. And it's very easy to know where everybody and anybody's at because everybody likes to talk. And some like it more than others. And whatever fills your heart is what's going to fill your mouth. Isn't that right? Amen. Spending too much time with these things and the results of it. God wants our time to be taken up with prayer, spending time in prayer, praying in the Holy Ghost, and in the Word of God. You know, Corinthians tells us that we are to pull down imaginations, cast them down, and anything, that, any lofty thing that's raised up against the knowledge of God. Isn't that right? You know, there's a lot of garbage going on outside in the world, in the country, in the government, in society, all kinds of stuff. Bad stuff, evil stuff, bad people doing bad things. But the Bible says very clearly, do not rejoice when your enemy enters into that judgment, that calamity, when bad things come upon them. Do not rejoice. Because God says he'll take his anger off of that person and it might wind up on the one that's, that's rejoicing. Do not rejoice. It's very serious. Those are things you have to cast down. Those are the things you have to, you know. David said to the Lord, put a guard over my mouth. Well, we think, you know, well, if I'm blabbing it, then I guess it's okay. No, the guard is the word that you put the word in your heart, and just before that stupid stuff wants to come out of your mouth, the word of God will rise up and say, this is what the word of God says, and you should not be saying that. And now you are in a position of using your free will. You can either will to say it or will not to say it. But if you haven't spent any time in prayer, you will not be strong enough to stand even against that. Now, if you can't stand the pressure of not saying what you're not supposed to say, how are you going to stand the pressure that you think you can stand against? Amen. Unbelief will always come with reasonings that reasons against the Word of God. Always. This type of unbelief, it has to be starved to death. You've got to kill it so it can no longer exalt itself against the knowledge of God. So the two things that you do is Joshua 1.8, meditate on the word, think about it, ponder it, get it into your thinking, so it drops down into your heart, sowing that seed of that word into your soil. Another one is Jude 1.20, praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up on your most holy faith. Prayer in the word, prayer in the word, prayer in the word. Are you with me? These are the things that will feed your faith and starve your unbelief consistently. How many of you remember when we came into the new millennial, year 2000? And what did they call that? Y2K, right? Because 2K means 2000, and Y means year, year 2000, Y2K, okay? Well, this is your Y2K. It is your year to kill unbelief. This is your year. It's, you've got to get back into this. You've got to kill this unbelief and get faith working again. 
revisit the place where the fatness drips and let the things of God just pour out on you, fill you and flood your being. Amen? Amen. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We give you all praise and glory and honor. For you alone, O Lord, are the glorious King, the mighty God, and the everlasting Lord. You, Lord Jesus, the everlasting one, you are Savior, Messiah. You are Yeshua. You are Jehovah. You are God Most High, the God of our salvation, the God of creation. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you, Lord. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking that you make these things alive inside of each and every one of us, that you bring them to our remembrance. It is your ministry to bring these things to remembrance. So I'm just asking you, based on what your ministry is to us, that you bring them back up to our memory and our thinking so that we can think about it, we can ponder it, Father, that it will roll around on the inside of us and that it will actually become life. Father, I thank you that you are the life giver. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us, for having delivered us and set us free pulled us out of the pit and set us on high. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that since we've come into your kingdom, that things have never been the same again, that life has just increased more and more. That doesn't mean there aren't issues, there aren't problems, there aren't things that we have to deal with. There's still a devil out there that doesn't want us to succeed and don't want us to advance, but you've given us authority, you've given us your word, you've given us your Holy Spirit, everything that we need that we can stand against this enemy, for he is already defeated, and we do not have to listen to his lies and all the things that he wants to tell us, for we know our God is a great God. Our God is a good God, and our God is a real God. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We bless you, praise you, and magnify you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, as we come before you with our giving, we thank you for the opportunity to bring in our tithe, bring in our first fruits, bring in our seed, whatever it is that we're bringing in to bless you and to honor you. We do it, Lord, with a heart of gratitude. We're a grateful people, Father. We're a thankful people. For we know where we would be if it wasn't for you in our life. Thank you, Lord. So we honor you with our substance and give to you, Father. And thank you, Lord, that you have attached promise to the seed that we sow. You've attached promise to our giving so that we can receive back. And therefore, we can give and we can bless and we can be a blessing to others for the reason that you want us to be blessed is so that we can be a blessing. We thank you for it, Lord. We bless you. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen, amen. If you need an envelope for a credit card or cash giving that you need a tax deductible receipt for, there's an uh, envelope on the seat bag in front of you. If not, if you lift your hand, the ushers will serve you. I want to thank you on live stream again and podcast for joining us today. And I do pray that the word of God has blessed you right where you're at and given you greater insight and understanding into the things of the kingdom. 
If there's anything we can ever pray with you about, please let us know. We always consider it an honor to stand with our partners and believe God for your needs to be met. We will stand in agreement with you, and we will not let go until it's done. If you would like to sow seed into the ministry, go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, click on the giving link, and I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. Amen.